because the means continue to evolve, right? Technology continues to evolve, right? Even in our in our B2B software world, we used to have client server, and then then it evolved, it evolved to where it is today. There is now augmented reality, virtual reality. Tomorrow there'll be something else. But the problem doesn't change. If I understand that, if I understand that what I'm here for is to solve that problem better, faster, and cheaper for my customers over time, then I'm safe. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Thanks for joining us again. I've got Rada Bensed today here with, and he's the president and CEO of Zavo. Rada, please. Give an introduction of yourself and your company. I always think the guests can do it better than me. So. All right. Well, good afternoon, David. Uh, again, I'm Reda Bensad, president of Zavo. Zavo is a uh, SaaS uh, company that makes software for the biopharma industry. And, and the software is there to help biopharma organizations accelerate their research and development process. Okay. So company has been around for about 20 years. And based on the on the demand from the biopharma industry, we had to look at how to best scale it. And uh, and I was hired 15 months ago to help the company uh, best fulfill the demand from the biopharma industry. And and we can talk about the rest and how we what we've been doing. Absolutely, and, and you know, fulfilling demand and its business development and its operations and scaling and you know sort of all the things is certainly the integrator CEO kind of job how do you think about doing all those things you know at the same time and especially being you know hired for it that's that's a totally different scenario than building up right from the ground you know where you're one guy in a garage and a lot of our listeners know that path uh, yeah so talk about your path and how you got toward that no absolutely so uh, the first thing we did when I, when I joined Zavo is we had to go back to the basics and and ask ourselves what what is really our target market, and uh, and how do you how do you even best characterize that target market, right? And uh, you had so we have to answer the basic question, and we have to move to the next question, which is well, what are the needs in that target market that Zavo can fulfill better than any competitive force, right? And and then make sure that based on that answer, we could move to the next thing, which is okay, well. Uh, what does that mean from a product standpoint, right? What should be our product strategy so we can deliver on those needs better than any competitive force? What should be our business model? How should we even organize to respond best on the demand? So it's been a process. We've gone through a process for the past uh, 14 to 15 months. And uh, 
And I think we're in a place where the, the vision of the company is very clear. Uh, the mission is very clear. Uh, our values are very clear. And, and we also were able to build a pretty strong value chain, able to respond very precisely to the demand of our biofuel market and, uh, and the feedback so far from the market is extremely positive. And so it makes me think, you know, you talk about a 20-year-old company, but you just described the exact process of effectively what is an early stage startup pivot. So I wonder, you know, is the parallels there? It's like you can be around a long time and have had success and then sort of redo all those things at that, I guess, would be next stage. And maybe that's the third or fourth pivot of the course of, of 20 years. Every business being different, you know, every time you kind of look at it, every 10x magnitude is different. Uh, every group of people is different. 20 years is a long time. No, absolutely. It's uh, it's funny you mentioned the third or fourth pivot. We 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 had to brand the latest transformation as Zabo 3.0, uh, aligned with what you just said, uh, because Zabo has been around for 20 years. It started actually at the custom software uh, shop uh, serving both the tobacco and biopharma market, and then basically it was an opportunistic organization reacting to incoming demand, and then to the point where in 2016. Team, there was more demand from biopharma than any other industry and itself to say, well, how can I stop from being opportunistic and respond more strategically to the demand of the biopharma market? And that was Zabo 2.0, and they've done fairly well. And well, there was so much more demand coming at us, we had to get a bit more spirit, right? And that was which gave birth to Zabo 3.0, right? And this is okay, how can we respond strategically to, to, to that demand? How can we create an environment? Where our performance uh, is sustained, right? Our, 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 you know, how can you create such an environment where we can become predictable, create a sustainable uh, revenue model, and so on and so forth, right? And that's what gave birth to 3.0, right? We just needed more structure, more focus, uh, and and that's what we've been doing for the past uh, 15 months. So it sounds like original pivot from a services company to figuring out how to get to be a, a particularly verticalized product company and then taking the learnings from that experience of really honing in and focusing on the delivery and, and sort of pinpoint and laser focus that set of products and needs. That's a long, that's a long cycle that it really like a lot of companies go through in that customer discovery and the pivot from service to product is a whole other thing that, you know, a lot of people try and a lot of people fail. And so now you're at the point where, okay, we actually made it through that. And now we need to laser focus a product. And yet you're talking about all these strategic things of like mission, vision, focus, target market, understanding customers, all of which you think might be at the beginning. So you really are at like sort of this, uh, next startup mode yeah we had to press the reset button absolutely we uh to your point uh, the reason why i was hired is because of my experience in the to be to be software world so there's a science behind how to build uh you know uh commercial off the shelf software uh there is a method behind the madness and and then so when what basically what the board realized is that with all of the demand the, that, that we've had, uh, it was time to, to basically do this the right way. And, and I was brought on board to, to basically also bring that recipe with me and, and also 
uh, hire uh, additional uh, individuals who've done this before. So when I came in, uh, you know, after we've kind of done what we had to do, and now we're also hiring individuals that know how to do this, know how to build uh, uh, commercial off-the-shelf software, know what it takes to do that, and know how to go to market with that. And yes, and that's the transition we're going through. Right. Absolutely. And so one of the things that pops into my head as far as like strategic change like that is just the the change management. And, you know, it's like you're materially changing people's jobs and maybe even their colleagues and the people they they work with. There's like real human stuff that's baked into that. A lot of emotions and feelings and, you know, kind of even does the new guy, you know, understand where we came from, you know, kind of stuff. Like you must have to really juggle a lot of that, you know, over the last year and a half then. Well, that's a very good point, David. I think the first thing one has to do as a leader is before earning the right to propose any change, one has to listen and talk and learn, right? So the first thing that I had done when I joined Zabo, I spent three months investigating every aspect of the organization and looking at look at into everything that was going on and why it was going on the way it was going on before I can kind have of, uh, so went through an investigation phase and just gathering information and information and looking at every operational area of the organization. Uh, we've looked at every we've looked at every dimension of the organization and then once we did that, then then we could basically we could basically start thinking about again you know, where to take the organization. Because I think that for with any change, with any transformation program, you have to have a very, very clear vision that is compelling to the employees, but also to the customers. Without that very clear vision to the top top of the mountain, nobody could follow. Right? So after investigation, we had to come up with a very, very clear vision as to what the top of the mountain would look like for us, but also how to get there, right? Which was really our mission. How do we get there? How do we you know, how do we climb up, right, the stairs so we can get get to the top of the mountain? And we have to explain that to everybody so that it can emotionally buy into it, to your point, before you even began the transformation. Otherwise, nobody will follow you to your point, right? That's a very good point. So we had to do that, and we spent a lot of time doing that. But but before we could do that, we had to learn about the environment, which we did. And then, then we, we painted a very clear vision. Then we painted a very clear way to get to the top of the mountain. We also set rules about the, our behavior and how we're going to behave culturally in order to, to deliver on what we need to deliver. And, and then we began the transformation. And, 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 and because we were so clear and because we also had um, uh, carved out basically a plan with stepping stones, it was easy for people to follow us and, and transform, help us transform the organization to where it is today. Right. So you really, if I could paraphrase it, just giving respect to the way things have been done, the genesis of where they came from, really honoring that the people path that got you where you are, there was those things weren't done for bad reasons. Like they're really good sort of histories that like the tacit knowledge of an organization that you can bring along into transformation. It may not be the right thing to still be doing anymore. But before you change, at least you can honor the the past of where that, that came from. We had to learn from the past, right? If we're here today, it's because, it's because of what happened for the past 20 years, right? Zavo was opportunistic and, and responded to demand a certain way, but more and more demand came to them. And they said, okay, how can we best respond? So we had to learn from that. 
right? What is it that we've done right? What is it that we've done wrong? What can we do better, right? Is the market being underserved? Where, you know, what can we do to serve the market better than any competitive force, see? So we had to, there was a lot of learning. I mean, one thing, one thing is to know which process and method to apply to take a, to scale a company. Another one is to do it in context of the organization and its market, if you know what I mean, right? It's the context matters a lot. And for the, and for you to do it in context of the organization, you have to learn about that context. If you don't learn about that context, you cannot ask the right questions, which means you cannot come up with the right end, contextual answers, and you're going to be aiming in the wrong direction and you're going to take the company in the wrong direction. You don't want to do that. So absolutely learning from the past is a critical, very, very critical piece of, of, of this equation, like you said. Right. And so 90 days of discovery and just learning and paying attention and asking questions. What was the next step then? If you were collecting all that information and, and formulating a plan, you've got, you know, and depending on how you organize your company on five, six, seven major functional areas, divisions, departments, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to think about that. You've got to organize and prioritize those things. Which were the first areas that you went after? The, the first thing we wanted, as I mentioned, the first thing I wanted to clarify is that I wanted to make sure that the, the direction of the company was very clear because without which nothing else could be done. What problem am I solving and for whom? Right? What problem are I solving and for whom? We had to clarify that because that, that became the foundation of everything else that we've done. You see, and, 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 and a lot of people talk about that, but it's, it's, it's harder to put together than one can think, you know, because we, a lot of, a lot of companies tend to put means, go, you know, after means before ends, right? They go straight into the, into the means before the ends. But, but we had to take a step back and clarify and be sure we understand exactly whom we're going to serve. What problems they want? What problems they wanted to? They wanted us to solve for them, and in that context, try to come up with how can we best respond? What should be our product strategy? What should be our you know? What should be our go-to-market model, right? Or business model to best respond? And and that's that's what that's really how I, how we've done it. So we had to clarify the the, the 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 strategy. We had to clarify again. We're SaaS companies. So we had to have a very sound product strategy that is sustainable. Where we could, you know, uh, that we could believe in, and, and and could allow us to deliver to promise for the next few years, and then we had to build a machine capable of delivering uh, on delivering of that, you know, on that vision very naturally, right? I think I think that when people talk about scale, I think the biggest mistake that that they make is that they think that you can scale an organization without having a sound machine that can take in more input historically before it you know, it generates output, but you have to have, you know, you have to have a very strong sound machine in order to earn the right to scale. So the next thing we had to focus on is, okay, well, you know, how do we build this machine so that it could respond very naturally to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the market demands? It could respond very naturally to the problems we're solving, right? What should be the different aspects of the machine, of the value chain? How should we organize to best respond? So that took a lot of work too. So as you figure that out, you have to transform to your point, the organization. You have to bring people along with you. You have to teach them new things. The other thing also that, that we had to invest in is, is basically uh, uh, learning. Uh, so one thing that we've, we created is a, called something called the Zabo University. 
Because especially in our world, where in the biopharma R&D market, you know, uh, you have to have a lot of core competency in terms of what that value chain, the biopharma value chain looks like, to, and even, even earn the right to ask the right questions, right? To come up with the right answer. So we need to invest heavily and structurally into a university so we can, everybody, continuously what they need to know in the context of their role and job so they can create value, secure value sustainably to the market. Okay, so we've done that as well. And I think that I think that pay, that is already paying off. Uh, the way we engage with our customers, the way we talk to our customers, the way we ask questions, every, it's paying off. They see that we know what we're talking about, right? We're just not there to sell. We're there to where we genuinely know what, what problems they're facing. We know exactly which questions to ask, and we know exactly when to ask them and how to respond. And that gives us credibility, and it strengthens the brand. And I would guess that that subject matter expertise existed somewhere, maybe siloed in the organization before, and you're you're upskilling everyone around it. You couldn't have gotten where you were without somebody knowing those things, but it, maybe there were a bunch of other folks around the company that, that just were not allowed into that information chain before? Yes, there, were, there was a lot of tribal knowledge, to your point, accumulated over the past 20 years, because you're right, for you to earn the right to even... Uh, uh, deliver a custom project, or even in 2015 when we transfer it to a commercial off-the-shelf organization, of course you have to have knowledge. But the question is, you know, where where is that knowledge? Can you scale that knowledge? Uh, can you make it? Can you structure that knowledge? Can you disseminate the knowledge at the right time to the right people for the right purpose so that the company uh, performs the way it's supposed to perform sustainably? Right. That's a big question. Right. So. So, of course, with all these startups, of course, there is knowledge and tribal knowledge. But but how do you make that as part of the of the fabric of the organization? And I think that's what we had to solve. And, and and it's working out pretty well for us. Right. I'm a big, big fan of knowledge management of, you know, some knowledge bases, wikis, whatever you do. Maybe you have an LMS. Maybe you have some sales enablement type of database, a guru or or something like that. There's a million ways to try to solve this problem, but you really find that in a, a tribal knowledge situation, this stuff is all lost in some chat or some email somewhere that you know maybe is pinned to an inbox. And if somebody left, you can never get them back. And I mean, there's so much of the value that had been paid for and invested in over that 20 years that does not live in a, a place that you can pull it back up again. Absolutely. You mentioned LMS. Yes, LMS is a tool that we had to implement, uh, obviously, to to deliver on that on that vision that we had, just to 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 enable people with knowledge systematically. But yes, absolutely. Yeah, That's and there's a learning call. regime, I guess, where mm -hmm. you have to have people internally teaching other people internally. So then you have a train the trainer type of of methodology. For anybody who doesn't know, LMS is learning management system. You can deploy courses, quizzes, et cetera, et cetera. You can help with your, you know, sort of corporate knowledge and make sure that people are actually taking the training that they're supposed to. It's a little bit overboard for a, a smaller company, but when you get to a certain size, you're, you're going to want to do a thing like that. But it helped us at our size. It helped us too. Yeah. How big was, how big was the company? 50, about 50 employees. Yeah, that's what I, I would mean, expect. It would yeah, kick in it at that help point. Us, yeah. yeah. Prior to that, make sure that you're documenting everything, at least in some kind of, uh, you know, sort of knowledge management type of system, not, not a bunch of Word docs on a lost share drive. That's not going to work for anybody. So talk about your 
your transition from what to me looked like a traditional corporate type of path to, you know, being startup CEO, because I think that that would be really interesting to a lot of people. Yeah. So actually, I started my uh, uh, my professional career working for a software startup uh, after college. So I'm pretty familiar with the environment, you know, and uh, I had the opportunity to help that startup grow substantially. And I had to learn, you know, what I had to learn very quickly what it means to wear multiple hats to do what you got to do and get it done on time. Right. So I was trained that way. And, and, and then as I climbed up the corporate ladder, I went to work for another organization, which was not a startup, but was more in the mature side, but had was growing substantially. And so I had to help them with growth. I had to help them come up with a strategy to grow sustainably. And then, and then we've done very well, actually, with that, with that other organization to the point where it, it got acquired uh, by, I think it's on my, right, on, my res, on, my, on my LinkedIn, but I got acquired by Siemens, public information. So, 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 so again, I, this is really my background. My background is to know exactly how to, how to take something that has potential and give it more structure and shape in order to, to make it the to make it something pretty cool and great that uh, that becomes extremely attractive, and and I think that's also what allowed me and and you know me to come to Zap because because of my background and my track record of of helping organizations in the past grow, you know, and uh, and and grow and come up with a way to grow a revenue sustainably, right? Which which to me is a byproduct of a clear strategy, a clear machine. Extra, sorry, clear strategy, strong machine. You're having that history. I wonder about this. I'm, I'm a big, I'm always interested in, you know, you sort of collected all that knowledge and you learned how to scale by doing, you've done it, you had the successes. I wonder how people factor into that. And by, by that, I mean, you know, I'm often interested to hear how people have brought along the network that they have built. And so you sort of have like core people that you kind of bring along to your next projects, your own tribe, you bring in some people that you don't have to reprogram, you know, because they can already read your mind. I find that to be very important in my own journey. And you're smiling and nodding. So I'd love to hear the story. Very good. Very good point, David. Absolutely. I uh, so uh, yes. So after I came to Zavo and, and kind of structured the company a little bit like I did, I I, we started. We started realizing some of the some of the leadership gaps that we had, and and absolutely, I started bringing a lot of the people that I've worked with for the past twenty years that have done extremely well with me uh, in other organizations. And as a matter of fact, you know, there are about three or four leaders I've already hired, and there are more that I'm hiring. And uh, and you know how it works, right? You hire the leaders; they hire their own people. So. And, and to your point, it facilitates the transition because they already have an idea about how you work, right? And so on and so forth. So I think today we're in a hybrid environment. Uh, when it comes to the management team, I have the people that I've worked with for the past 20 years. And I have the people that I that were with Zavo before and were able to kind of, we're able, we are able to, to work together under this new way. And, and I think it's working, you know? And, and honestly, quite frankly, even having a different perspective is very healthy. Meaning that beyond the people that I've worked with, still having people that have done for Zavo what they've done for the past 20 years to me is very, very healthy because you still learn something, right? You, you, you still want a different perspective. 
no matter how good you think you've done in the past, you, a, a different perspective is always fresh and healthy. So it's serving us extremely well. So, you know, and I want to keep the management team as such, right? I want it to be a bit hybrid. I want it to be some of the people that have done everything with me for the past 20 years and then some of the people that have different perspectives and marry both environments and come up with something pretty unique. How do you manage creative conflict between traditional group and new new people at the table? Uh, how do you align that? I uh, honestly, I spend a lot of time going back to the basics with everybody. And and what I did is I said, well, look, uh, let's go back to the basics. What is the objective? What is the objective of our value chain? I said, look, my job is to be very clear about the objective, the objective of the of the top of the pyramid. And my job is to make sure that every function sub-objective aligns with the parent objective. And then the means that you use to fulfill that objective, have at it. As long as you can fulfill that objective and you can prove to me you can fulfill it the right way and you can get better and better and fulfilling the objective, I'm fine with that. So what worked for me is that I'm, I'm super clear with the objective, right? Super clear with the objective. So that takes away the subjectivity from everything. I'm like, look, this is what we're working towards. Is it clear or not? Now, we can debate the means. It's okay. The best means made the best means for, uh, win. But the objective is the objective, right? And that's how you bring alignment. That's how you drive alignment. And what you realize is that then you create a very healthy dialogue between the two groups. Because the dialogue is all about which means can we use to best fulfill the objective. And the different perspectives are good and healthy perspectives. If you see what I mean. And people learn from each other. So we go away from this very subjective environment to this very objective environment where everybody is working towards the same goal, right? And and, and, and I think that's how we're able to do it. And, and now, honestly, I think we're aligned. What is the the operating system, if you will, that you use for for running a company, keeping everything straight? Uh, there's, you know, different sort of books you might have been able to pull together over time or uh, methods or, you know, ways that you do it. And I'm always curious if anything has uh, particularly, you know, influenced you in that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big student of strategy. I, I, I'm a big fan. I, I think I'm wired this way. I, since I started my career, I was always, uh, I've operated differently from anybody else. I would always think a lot, analyze a lot, try to come up with, with plans and, and, and method uh, versus, you know, that will uh, metaphorically tell the time versus me having to tell the time. You know, we talk about, you know, some books tell you you want to build a clock versus having people to tell the time. I've always believed in that. And I've studied that a lot for the past 20 years and I've implemented a lot of it. So I think that's that's really what uh, this is really what we we brought to Zavo. We, you know, where where we. I really believe in, in, in having a clear vision. I believe in focus. I believe in having a structure capable of delivering uh, on that vision. I believe in measuring the performance of that structure and continually improving that structure. I believe in the machine. I don't see, I don't, I don't believe in, in, in the hero mentality. I think, I think the hero mentality it will not create a sustainable performing organization. You see, because you have to rely on Superman and they're not, you know, what you want to do is create a recipe, is create a recipe that works in your environment and hire the average Joe, I mean, or just, you know, the normal person who can basically implement that recipe and give him a little bit of room, right, to, to operate and still you, you get the same outcome. 
right? It's the same consistent outcome. I believe in that. But that takes a lot of effort. It takes discipline. It takes rigor, right? It take, it's a lot of work. It's harder, right? It, it, it's a lot easier uh, said it's than done. It's a lot done. easier to explain it than exactly. it is to do it. <laughs> It's a lot of pain. And sometimes, you know, it, I mean, look, it's a lot of pain. But if you're able to put it together, if you're able to create such an environment, it does pay dividends. And it, and it helps you sustain your performance and, and it, helps it, it helps the company shine. Right, right. It reminds me of the E-Myth. Uh, if you read read that book, uh, you know, sort of making standard operating procedures and make that playbook and run those plays over and over and over again to a really discerning level of accuracy and be able to measure those things. And measurement is always, I think, the issue. So we can all agree on the objective, but how would we know if we got there? And, uh, you know, it's really easy to throw around this idea of, well, we're a data driven organization. And I think you've seen as many leadership teams as I have make up the data that proves uh, their decision without really having much fidelity on the measurement. So. Yeah, the trick there to your point is before, I mean, you got a very good point there as well, is to make sure that when you put something in place that you have a target, right? The target for the objective. Okay, so I want to do this, but what am I targeting in terms of outcome? Otherwise, you cannot measure anything. You see what I'm saying? To your point. Yeah, which if, thing has to be a certain level or how will I know or what are my thresholds? And it's it. really challenging to make up, you know, you can look up the standard ratios of different stuff, but it, it doesn't work for every company. And I found that you often have to say, what, what thing would actually indicate to me that my company is in the green light? And yeah, sometimes I have to make up your own measurement. It's not all available in a blog post. So. <laughs> No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think, I think, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, that's again, another very good point. One has to have targets, uh, and has to be able to measure performance against these targets uh, to be able to see if one is trending upward or downward or, and I think goes without saying. And, and, and I think if we don't do that, then, then I think we're in trouble then. How do we know if we're heading in the right direction? How do we know if we're making progress, right? How do we know? And uh, and and again, it takes yes, it takes rigor, it takes discipline, it takes strategic thinking. You just want to do something, you just want to go by, by the book and just say, oh, I'm just gonna put something out there. Right? It has to be sent. Right? It has to. You have to be able to relate. Your people have to be able to believe in it and relate to it. Right? You just want to put something out there just to. To check the box, right? It has to, it has to make sense. And but if you can figure it out, then it also helps the company quite a bit. Absolutely. So, you know, this picture of of the thing that you've been able to do here is obviously a path from successes. And I also know that somewhere in there, maybe there are two or three times that there was a, a pretty significant error that you uh, you know learned from. And you know what? So, share one or two of the major pivots that you went through or, or speed bump or things you wish you knew, uh, lessons learned. Cause I think that, um, those of us, you know, that have are now running successful enterprises, uh, we can fall prey to our own revisionist history that it was such a smooth path. And I don't like to, to tell those stories, you know, let's tell me some of the ones where it was a disaster. So <laughs> no, yes, I think that, um, there are a couple of things that I've learned very early and I, I I think I touched on them already. One is that one you don't want to you don't want to focus on means before understanding what you're aiming for. 
you know, uh, I, 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 I give this example to, to all of my employees. I tell them, look, why did Netflix disrupt Blockbuster? You know, uh, think about it. I said, why did Uber disrupt the taxi business? Taxi is a means, right? But what problem were they solving, right? So basically, everybody wanted to basically get transportation and and have the best experience as to, for that as they as they would hire that transportation, so to speak, right? So for, so Uber understood that, and I said, well, you know, let me look at the let me look at all the means out there that will allow me to solve that problem better than anybody else. Technology is out there. There is technology, right? So if I dissect the problem that they want me to solve, I can solve it better than the yellow cap. And you see, it's a different perspective. Same thing with Netflix versus Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster focused on the means. Oh, I'm renting uh, uh, DVDs. Whereas Netflix said, okay, no, look, people want, want, want to watch entertainment Right at the they and they want the best experience from the time they think about watching entertainment to the time they consume entertainment. You see, so how can I leverage the best means out there to give them the best experience? Do you see what I'm saying? So this this also applies to B two B software. A lot of companies, a lot of B two B software companies, basically focus on the means too quickly. Features functions. Features functions. Then they put the system, you know, they put basically the software out there. Any person of it never gets used because they thought about it the wrong way. You got to start with what you got to start with is fully understand what problem you want to solve and make sure that because the means continue to evolve, right? Technology continues to evolve, right? Even in our in our B two B software world, we used to have client server and then. Then we had the, 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 the right? then it evolved, it evolved to where it is today. There is now augmented reality, virtual reality. Tomorrow there'll be something else. But the problem doesn't change. If I keep, if I understand that, if I understand that what I'm here for is to solve that problem better, faster, and cheaper for my customers over time, then I'm safe. Then the means are flexible. See? So that's one of the lessons that I, that I learned very, very early on, which influenced my thinking, because that's a mistake that we made maybe 15, 20 years ago. We put the car before the horse. Oh, we're going to build a product. Let's build a product. And let's see if it's going to stick. Let's see if anybody, you know. And then you realize 80% of the people say, oops, you know, we like some of it. We don't like, we don't like, uh, you know, there's something we don't like and uh, please rework it. Right, so that's one thing that I've learned. Uh, that's a big mistake that I've made that I've learned from, which 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 totally influenced the way I think about this. The the, the, the second thing, the second thing which I also pointed to is 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 also having to rely on heroes to for a business to 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 sustain. It's just not sustainable. You you just don't have, uh, you know, you just don't have uh, access to superheroes everywhere uh you cannot rely on that model right so you have to build an environment basically that that codifies what needs to be done and and basically you know assuming that you're going to hire normal people that can do the job and they're going to produce a very positive outcome that's another lesson that i've learned very very early in my career where we had to rely on a few superheroes to deliver and that it was very painful because people actually, everybody asked for these resources to do everything and anything. 
It just didn't create a very healthy environment, not only internally within the organization, for the customer. Even the customer will ask for the good people. You see what I'm saying? And and I don't think that's I don't think that's a, a sustainable model. Absolutely. So so I'll push you on that point as our last lesson of the day. What are you doing to make sure that you're not the superhero? So that if you didn't show up one day and, every, and something happened or, you know, sustainability of the company, what do you do on a daily basis to make sure that it could go on and on and you're not the superhero that's the blocker? That's a good question. I'm, uh, I'm codifying everything. I'm, I'm, you know, in metaphorically, I think we're building a clock that can tell the time with or without me. It takes time. It takes time to do that. I mean, you can't just, you can't do it overnight. But it's I think we're objective. working towards that. Absolutely. That's the objective. I think over time we'll be in a situation where there'll be what we call the Zabo way. And if you can bring a very strong leader uh, who's smart enough, and understands a little bit what's behind the Zabo way, I think they can, with good leadership skills, they can, they can continue and lead the organization and, uh, and, and do very well. And, and we're doing that all the way from where I sit at the top of the organization, all the way down, right? to to the to the to the other layers of the pyramid that's really our philosophy absolutely well i love that right we're gonna run out of time here closing thoughts and comments maybe put on your futurist hat you know what's what's the next couple of years look like for for you and the team and i don't know set the set the bar high for us now i think i think we're very optimistic when it comes to uh what we're going to be doing in, in in the market, and based on what we set to do, I think there is already overwhelming positive uh, feedback uh, from the market based on what we're doing. I think that in the space where we chose to compete, uh, to compete, sorry, I think that Zavo uh, will be the again. Our goal is to be the force to be reckoned with, right? Uh, we we have very very bold goals, and like I tell our people, we're not going to be number two, or we're going to be number one, or nothing. I tell them, look, Zabu is the best for nothing. And that's really our motto, the best or nothing in everything and everything that we do. So I think I think we're building the foundational elements to earn the right to be the best at what we do. And I think we're getting already good indications that we are heading in the right direction. And very we're very excited about the prospects and, and what the future holds for us. Fantastic. Red, if anybody wants to get in touch with you and the company, how do they do that? Zabu.com. And uh, that's the website, right? Zabo.com. And, uh, and uh, my email address is, uh, if somebody wants to talk to me, it's reda.bente.zabo.com. Uh, we'll get that in the show notes too there. And Zavo is X-A-V-O for X-A-V-O. anybody who is yes. interesting in creative spellings. Because all of us startup people, we need to have creative spellings. <laughs> <laughs> Reda, thanks for hanging out. I love the insights and appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.